I hopefully want to build some faith uh, amongst you today. I want to speak. Uh, actually, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you what's happened uh, in our lives just in this last year. I was in a prayer meeting uh, some time ago, like just last year, and I, something happened to me in that prayer meeting that hasn't happened before. I had an open vision, and uh, an open vision is where you're awake and your eyes are open, but you are sensing something is happening to your body, or you're sensing something is happening around you that is supernatural, not just the natural. And as I got up out of my chair, we were in this prayer meeting, we were worshipping God, we were with some good friends, a friend Dave Fellingham, some of you know Dave, I sensed in my hand that I was holding something, and uh, I bet people thought it was a bit odd, and I just felt I was holding a shovel, and uh, I thought, this is really weird. I've never sat in a meeting or stood in a meeting holding a shovel before. But I kind of felt that's what was in my hand. And I felt God spoke to me. And I heard him speak very clearly. He said this, I've put a shovel in your hand because I want you to prepare my people. I want you to help them to dig ditches, which is a bit of a strange phrase, because I want you to help prepare them for the coming revival. That's what I felt God say. Now, I'll come back to that actual word because that word took some context a little bit later for me when I saw a passage in Scripture that referred to digging ditches, which I'll refer to a little bit later, perhaps almost at the end of what I'm going to speak about today. But unsurprisingly, I'm going to speak about preparing us, preparing the people of God for revival, for God coming and moving and stirring and shaking and coming with power and authority and a fresh sense of vigour on his church. You see, that's God's purpose. God's purpose that he might revive. The word vive means life. The word re means again. So new life again, fresh life again. And God's heart, God's plan is that he might bring fresh life to us as Christians fresh life to us as the church in order that we might do what the church was always supposed to do and that was shine like a light in our dark world and be a water in the desert, to be refreshment, to be a signpost to God, to be life to the dead, to be those who are living for him and shining for him. And I believe that God wants to impart some faith in us today and here in Jubilee Church Teesside, not just for Teesside, although... We do love Teesside, we love this area, we love the North East, but not just for the North East, because God's heart and God's plan and God's purpose is that from here you might touch increasingly the nation and the nations. And God wants to do something of faith. I believe my role this morning is just to deposit something in your heart of faith, just to deposit something in your heart of the Spirit, and it's going to cause you, I believe, as a community to come afresh to God and to ask him to fulfil his purposes and for your eyes to be open. I think we said that today, that there's like a revelation of something, something's going to be revealed and released to us. We're going to open our eyes to something to see that we're not some little church stuck on the edge of Teesside, but we're the very centre of God's purposes and that we are the people who are going to bring in God's purposes for this land and this area. Now, that's not exclusive to us. It's not like we're just the only ones who are going to do that. God's speaking actually to all his church right now. It's ever so interesting. If you read Christian magazines, li- uh, listen to Christian radio, Christian TV, if you hear or read new books, almost all the Christian leaders and preachers at the moment are talking about a coming revival. 
They're talking about God moving again in power, God moving again in authority. And I think God does want to do that. He does want to do a new thing amongst us. Last time I was here about a year ago, the verse that I spoke to you out of was Isaiah 43, verse 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's what God's speaking to his church about today. He's saying, wake up, church. I'm doing something new amongst you. Open your eyes. Can't you see? Can't you perceive what I'm doing? And I'm going to use you to reach this nation and to reach the ends of the earth. And I'm going to pray by the end of this session, the end of this message, we're going to, the, the response is going to be we're just going to worship together. We're going to sing a song maybe about revival or a song about God's moving by his spirit and power. And I'm praying that God will catch us up in something new and in something fresh Now, it will be a new thing. God always does new things. But in one sense, it's the same thing. Same thing that God has always done down through the centuries. God's story, if you like, the story of God's people is of always God coming and refreshing them. God coming and filling them with presence, being with them. But the Bible, God's story is full of God's people who once received his presence who once were refreshed by his glory, who once were shining lights and uh, were tearing out the praises and worship of God, unfortunately going into decline. And that's the story. You can read it through the Old Testament, great highs and then great lows. I think we've seen that even in our own nation. We've seen great times when God has swept through this land and done wonderful things. We've seen even tasters of it in some of our lifetimes. Some of us in this room will be old enough to remember the Billy Graham Crusades and all that happened in the 1950s, 60s, 70s and 80s when Billy was so powerful. Obviously, he's just been gone to be with the Lord this last month. What a great servant of the Lord, 99 years old. Uh, But some of us will remember the fervour, remember the newspaper headlines or reading about what happened in mass revival crusades even in our days and our lifetimes. Some of us may remember what happened sort of 20, 30 years ago with the charismatic renewal with names associated with that, like Toronto in Canada, where God swept in with power, a little tasters of that. But unfortunately, the church has not kept, not, it hasn't stayed in that place of blessing and it's been in a sense of decline. Now, you can say that's sad, Or you can say, well, actually, God is just repositioning us for another sense of his coming, another sense of power. The story of the people of God is, yes, of often decline, but then the people of God, sensing the decline, sensing the atmosphere, atmosphere, sensing something isn't right amongst us, we've we've got the shell of Christianity or religion, we've got the outward trappings of it, but we haven't got the power anymore. We're not witnessing as we were anymore. We're not shining out like a light and a beacon as we were anymore. And the people of God cry to God, come to God and say, God, would you revive us again? God, would you pour new life into us who once had such life? God, would you come again? And scriptures are full of those kind of prayers. Let me give you a couple of them. Psalm 85 verse 6 Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Habakkuk 3 verse 2 Lord, I've heard of your fame 
I stand in awe of your deeds. Will you not repeat them in our day? Will you not make them known in our time? And that's God's heart. That's God's purpose, that in our day, in our time, and I think some of us have got into a little bit of cynicism about this. Some of us have got into a little bit, I've heard all that before about revival, it didn't happen before, it didn't. No, actually God wants to freshly breathe on us a sense of faith that he's going to do it again. What he's done before, he will do again. I came across this great, great quote by a, a British uh, Baptist pastor, quite famous of another century, called Charles Spurgeon, and he quoted this. When people hear about what God has done in the past, one of the things they say is, oh, but that was a very long time ago. But I thought that it was God that did it. Has God changed? Is he not an immutable God? The word immutable just means unchanging. Does that not furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do at another? In fact, this is a great quote, in fact, I think I might push it a little further and say this, what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. And God has done it with us before and God is doing it right now across planet Earth. I couldn't, haven't got time this morning to tell you, but I'll just give you one statistic. Last year we came across a group working into China, uh, working into uh, some of the underground uh, churches in China, and they were giving us these statistics that in their estimate, about 10,000 people were coming to faith in Christ, listen, per day. 10,000 people, per, in their estimates, amongst their churches, amongst what was happening with them, and in the underground church in China, 10,000 people per day. That's three and a half million a year, just a bit more actually. It's incredible what God's doing in other nations. Now we don't hear about that. That's not in our newspapers and on our headlines and our uh, tablets and our phones, but actually God is doing something on planet Earth and actually God is preparing this people. God is preparing us, I believe, in the United Kingdom for a great revival. Now, let me just say a few things, a, bit, a few caveats about revival. We can look back to certain days, things I've referenced to, I, re- I referenced the, the so-called Toronto blessing, the kind of charismatic movements that have happened over the last few years. We could look back to Billy Graham's crusades. We could uh, look back to the Wesleyan revivals with John Wesley in the 1700s. We could look back to the Whitfield's revivals. We could look back to all that happened uh, with past moves of God, with people like William Booth and the Salvation Army. We could look back to things and we could say, God, that's the pattern for today. Well, when God moves, it's always fresh. It's always new. But if we want any kind of a pattern, let's have a biblical pattern and not just a national pattern or a past pattern for the UK. And I would suggest that we should have a quick look this morning, very quickly, at Acts chapter 2. Because I think this is the best pattern for biblical revival. In fact, let's start with Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, that's John the Baptist, 
baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised, filled, immersed with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Spirit of God comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then let's look what happens in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. And uh, it, well, it starts in, it starts in uh, they were together, it says, but then in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer. That's Acts 1 verse 6. When the day of Pentecost came, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they were all together in one place. There was a sense of which God's people were gathering in unity together. And then verse 2, suddenly the sound of a blowing of a violent wind from heaven came and filled the whole house. And then verse 4, there was the signs of the Holy Spirit upon them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages just as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And we had a taste of that this morning as other languages were spoken amongst us as the Spirit filled. But then look what happened. And this is the danger. We tend to keep the Spirit of God in these four walls. We keep him nice and tidy in a box in here in the Macmillan Centre. But actually, this is what happened. Now, it says in verse 5, they were staying in Jerusalem. This sense of the Spirit comes on them and they can't stay in the upper room. They just spill out onto the streets. Verse 5, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, what's this sound? It's the sound of the people of God praising and worshipping on the streets. They came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being spoken utterly amazed, they said. Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? What does this mean? And then Peter gets up and preaches an amazing sermon, an amazing Christ-centred sermon about Jesus who gave his life for them, that they too might be reconciled with God, that they might receive repentance and faith, they might be baptised in water, they might be filled with the Holy Spirit, and so 3,000 are added to the kingdom that day. Dear friends, that's revival. It's the Holy Spirit coming on a group of united together believers and they were not that big. It was 120 in the upper room. Not that dissimilar from who we are. And if God could come upon that rabble, if God could come upon that people who were afraid at that time, if God could come upon them and fill them with the Holy Spirit and empower them with the Spirit and so thrust them out into the community that there were signs and wonders, there was healings, there was deliverances, there was manifestations of God's power and glory. If he could do it with them, do you know, dear friends, he wants to do it with us. And he wants then for the gospel to go out through powerful proclamation, preaching, demonstration, declaration, that we might see thousands and thousands swept into the kingdom of God. That's I believe, a biblical pattern for revival. When we're talking about revival, we're not looking back just to the United Kingdom, we're looking back to what God has done in the past and what what God will do in the future. The Bible's our pattern. The Bible's the rock on which we stand. The the spirit and truth, the, the word and the spirit combined together. God wants to speak to us today that Acts isn't just a story of what happened in the New Testament. Acts is a pattern for living And God wants to come afresh, fill us afresh, empower us afresh. Just as he was speaking of, so interesting, Peter says, this is for you, your children, and your children's children. 
And this is as much about our children and our young people. This is much about getting them full of the Holy Spirit, empowered with the Spirit, and getting them sent out and thrust out into their schools and colleges, their neighbourhoods, their friends, with the power of the Spirit. This is revival, friends. This is what we live for. This is not some strange, weird thing. This is central to Christianity. This is apostolic Christianity, that God wants to come in power in his church to fill us with the Spirit and to send us out into our neighbourhoods, into our workplaces, into all the earth. Now let me give you five, I think. I'm not sure how many I've got written down here, actually. Five. I've got five things that I notice when I look into the Bible about God renewing and restoring and reviving his people. And actually you can look at these things and you can see these five principles actually in all historic moves of God. Whether they are historic in terms of the Bible's historicity or whether they're historic in terms of what's happened in the United Kingdom or whether they're current, what's happening in China right now. These five things, you'll find all of them every time you hear about a move of God. Let me tell you, the first one is this. The first, and they all begin with a letter P in English. I'm sure they don't in Farsi or Tigrinian or Amharic or any other language, but they begin, for, for those of us who are sinful, myself included, they all begin with a letter P. The first one is this. It's about the promises of God. This is not my idea. This is not a few church leaders who'd like bigger churches. This is not about us woeing over the state of our nation and saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a cultural revival? Wouldn't it be nice to go back to the 1950s and have a little bit more peace and quiet and, and happiness? Wouldn't it be like some romantic, nostalgic going back? No, this is about God's promises. This is about what God has said over his people. It's always been God's plan and God's purpose to fill all the earth with his glory. Let me give you that. Numbers 14, verse 21. As surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Another version says, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. It's just another translation of that and another part of that theme actually comes out several times in the Bible. Interestingly enough, that is said not at a moment of victory. It's said at a moment of defeat. It's said when the children of God fail to get into the land at Kadesh Barnea, they've come out of Egypt with Moses, they failed, they didn't go into the land with Moses. They, the spies came back, if you remember, say, oh, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb says, yes, we can, yes, we can. But the, the, the other ten are saying, no, we can't, no, we can't. And because of unbelief, they don't get into the land. At that moment of defeat, God speaks and says, yes, you've just been defeated, but I want you to know, as surely as I live, one day all the earth, not just a few hundred square miles in the Middle East, but one day all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's God's plan, to fill every square inch of Teesside, every bit of the northeast every bit of the United Kingdom, every bit of this planet with his glory shining through his people, which is the church. See, this is God's big picture. It's God's promises. that We're standing on God's word when we're praying for revival, for the glory of God to come again. Another one, 
Isaiah 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, and if you know anything about the application of what the temple represented, it represented the presence of God with the people of God. It was obviously originally with the is with Israel and the people of God, but actually Jesus and the New Testament apostles take the theme of the temple and apply it to us, the church. We are the full fulfilment of the temple. So when the Bible talks about the temple, it's talking about us, the people of God. That's what it says. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, in other words, we could say the people of God, the church of the living God, will be established as chief amongst all the mountains. It doesn't feel like we're the chief of the mountains. It feels like we're a little molehill, doesn't it, sometimes? It feels like we're a little foothill. It feels like we're a little bump in the ground, a little speed bump, a little sleeping policeman, occasionally being a little annoyance to a driver. We don't feel like we're a big mountain. The mountains are secularism. The mountains are mammon and money. The mountains are, are, are lust and greed and sexuality and, and, and materialism and commercialism and meism. And, you know, every, they're the mountains in our day. We've got these great mountains of, of finance and we just feel very little as the church. Actually, that's not God's plan. God's plan is to raise up the church to be the greatest mountain on planet Earth to be the biggest voice on planet Earth, to be the biggest influence on planet Earth. That's God's prophetic promises. This is who we are. I was reading recently Habakkuk chapter 2, verse, I'm not even sure what the verse is because I haven't got it written down here, I think it's verse 9. When they rebuilt the temple, it said some of the people wept because the temple wasn't as good as it used to be. I haven't got time to unpack that but it's like it wasn't quite as grand as it used to be and it's like we're in decline. We used to have a glorious temple, now we've got this not-so-glorious one. And you can feel that in the church. We used to have a glorious church. We used to have a massive influence in this nation. Now it's decline and the church is lessened and the church is lessened. But God prophesies through Habakkuk and he says this, the glory of the latter house. And when it talks about the house, it's talking about the, the house of God, the people of God. The glory of the latter house is going to be more glorious than the glory of the former house. And the glory of the former house was pretty impressive. The Queen of Sheba and, and dignitaries came from all over the world to marvel at the glory of the temple. And he says, now the glory of the latter house, it's really talking about the church, the glory of that is going to be even more glorious than all that's gone before. Dear friends, these are the promises of God for us. This is who we are as the people of God. This is our inheritance. This is who we are as the people of God. Another one, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Do you feel like a little dull torch light sometimes, shining in a very dark place? Well, the Bible says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is going to rise upon you. This isn't going to be just like, if we all get together and shine our little torches, we could all be a bit brighter. You know, some of us are a bit dim. I'm not looking at anyone. <laughs> Tried not to catch anyone's eye there, Val. But <laughs> See, we're not that bright. We really aren't. We haven't got, you know, we're not that impressive. It's not our glory. It's not, well, you know, we've, if we had some really impressive Christians amongst us, we could really shine like lights. No, it's the glory of the Lord that's going to come upon us. 
And yet, then it's going to indwell us and we will shine, but we'll shine with the glory of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers all the earth and over all the peoples, but the Lord arises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Dear friends, these are the promises of God for his people. You can trace it right the way through the Old Testament. You can trace it right the way through to the New Testament, to the church, being the temple, being the household, being the glory of God, being the people who shine as a light in the darkness. That is who we are. And God wants to stir faith in our hearts. He wants to open our eyes for this, that we are not in defeat or in retreat. We are waiting for the Spirit to come upon us and asking for the Spirit to come on us that we might step into this glorious inheritance to be a light shining in darkness. And that's the first one, the, the promises of God. Second one, all beginning with P, the prophecies from God. God has prophesied. God has spoken. And I don't know all your promises, all your prophecies. I know some of them, because I was here for 11 years out of your 20 years. And uh, it's great, isn't it? Celebrating 20 years. We will be later, I think, in October, a great celebration, 20 years of being on Teesside and Jubilee Church. But God has spoken some things to us as a people of God. And I want to ask you, not now, but for you as elders and leaders and for you as the people of God, what are your prophetic promises? What are the prophecies that God's spoken to you specifically about? Not just for everyone else, but for you. Let me give you one, not just for you, but this is one that was spoken over us as a movement, New Frontiers, uh, by a, a prophetic lady called Ginny, who's in our home church in Sheffield. Some of you know Ginny, she's spoken here in various settings. And this is a prophetic word that God gave to Ginny and he kind of confirmed it in a remarkable way. It's a bit of a long story, but I'll tell you the story. In 1973, before most of you were born, not you, in 1973, Ginny had a prophetic vision over the United Kingdom. And she saw over the United Kingdom, it was like, like one of these open visions that I was talking about, like she was looking down on the United Kingdom and she saw over the United Kingdom lights coming ablaze. And she felt this was the glory of God starting to come to the church. And there were just a few lights at first, but more and more lights came up, more and more lights, they were like these kind of beacons that, 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 that sprung up and slowly and slowly more and more and more and more until the whole United Kingdom was ablaze with the glory of God. And she felt God say, I'm lighting beacons in the churches to revive the churches. So she's been carrying, since 1973, she's been carrying this sense of God's going to do it, God's going to bring revival. Then God said to her, and I'm going to give you some, some confirmation, that's the word, I'm going to give you some confirmation that I'm going to do this. And I'm going to give you three confirmations. That's what she felt God say in 1973. I'm going to give you three confirmations this vision is from me. So she thought, well, it'll probably come next week. 
It'll probably come next month. It'll probably come next year. It'll probably come next decade. It'll probably... When is this going to come? When am I going to get this confirmation? Well, in 1977, <clears throat> right, several years later, 1977, she was watching a television and she watched in the television a map of the United Kingdom and I don't know, does anyone know what happened in 1977? Don't say the punk revival, uh, Simon. I know that that's, yeah, you know, <coughs> but... Uh, Anyone know what happened in 1977? The Queen's Silver Jubilee. And those of us that are old enough, I mustn't stop looking there. Those of us that are old enough, Judy, (laughs) those of us will remember, actually there were beacons lit for the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And Ginny was watching the television and she saw this map of the United Kingdom and she saw these beacons, they were pretty poor graphics in those days, but she saw these beacons popping up and it was exactly the vision that God had given her. These beacons being lit all over the nation. She she felt God say, that's the first confirmation. Then she thought, right, that's only a few years, maybe I'll get another confirmation in a year or two's time. Well, in 1995, many years later, in 1995, I bet nobody knows what we were celebrating in 1995. Anyone know? Nobody ever knows what we were celebrating in 1995. It was the the anniversary, 50th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, that the end of the, really effectively the end of the Second World War. I know there was other ends and, but that great celebration, 50 years, the end of the Second World War, VE Day. And actually what they did for, to celebrate VE Day, again, Ginny was watching, she must watch her television a lot, Ginny was watching her television and on there there's a map of the United Kingdom and to celebrate VE Day we're lighting these beacons all over the United Kingdom and she's seeing them, graphics a little bit better now, it's 90s, not the 70s, graphics look pretty good, we're lighting these beacons to celebrate what's going to happen. She felt God say, second confirmation. Then she waits again, and it's 1999. Now, something had happened a couple of years previous, three years previous, that some of you will know that Ginny was caught up in a kind of famous prophetic word that she had, that there will be flowers in the city in 1997, and that the nation would be brought through a time of grieving, and that through the flowers in the city, God was going to promise that he was going to come again. That was another prophetic word she had. And of course, not long after that, we had lots of flowers in the city and lots of grieving because unfortunately Princess Diana was, and Dodie Fire were killed in a car crash in Paris in August 1997. And Ginny became a bit of an unwitting celebrity. In fact, if you know anything about Ginny, she shies away from publicity totally. But Sky News and other news outlets have kind of found her, camped out on her doorstep and wanted to know what the prophet from Sheffield was saying next and uh, it was just really an unhelpful time and that went on for several years in Ginny's life, she kept being hounded by the press anyway, in 1999 it's important all these bits in 1999 there's a knock on the door of the church in Sheffield where Ginny's worshipping in our church and a young man is at the door saying is Ginny Bergen is Ginny Bergen the prophet here and it's like, oh no, it's another one of these news reporters who wants the latest thing of what God's saying. And uh, she's very reluctant to go out. In fact, she only comes out of the... He's insistent, I must speak to Ginny, I must speak to Ginny, I must speak to Ginny. She's ever so reluctant. Until such point as a couple of henchmen from the church go out with her to speak to this man. Because she felt God say, go and speak to him. So she speaks to this young man. 
And uh, this young man says, I'm here to tell you that the third promise is about to happen. Now, he knows nothing of this. None of this has gone public at all. The third promise is about to happen. And suddenly at that point, she's got his attention. And he then says to her, you won't... God said to me, you must find Ginny Bergen in Sheffield. I am driving down the motorway. This is the days before sat-nav. I had no idea where Ginny Bergen in Sheffield was, but I felt God say, turn off the motorway now. Turn down this street. Now turn left. Now turn right. Now stop at this building. Knock on the door of that church. And that's the door he's knocking on, asking for Ginny. Quite miraculous. And she's like, even now, she's softening a bit, going, mm, yeah, it could be God, you know. So third promise, what's this? He said, well, God said you wouldn't believe the confirmation until I told you what my job is. And she goes, yeah, right, what are you, tax man or something? You know, who, who, what are you, who are you? Well, he said, you know, it's 1999. Well, yeah, I can work that out myself, she said. Um, and you know that uh, it, we're just about to celebrate the new millennium in a few weeks' time. And you don't know this yet because it hasn't been kind of announced, but actually on, on Millennium Night, right across the country, we're going to light beacons in every town and city to celebrate this new millennium. And I want you to know that I'm on the committee, not only am I on the committee to celebrate this, but it's going to be my role and my job. You're going to see me on the television soon. It's going to be my role to pass the baton to the Queen who's going to light the first beacon. And God said, if I told you that, you'd understand about the third sign. Uh, yes, I think we do understand about the third sign. I get very emotional when I tell this story. I'll tell you why. Because I believe God's going to do it. I believe God is going to light beacons right across the United Kingdom. And I believe Jubilee Teesside is a beacon. I believe you are a beacon here. I believe we here are part of this. God's going to light many other beacons. God bless them. And every beacon needs to shine with the glory of God. In fact, it won't work if it's just one beacon. We all need to be ablaze with the Spirit of God. But this is about us, the community. This is a prophetic promise for us. This is a prophecy. We've got to take hold of these prophecies. Now, you've got other prophecies. You've got other promises from God. Promises. Prophecy. Prayer. You knew that was coming, didn't you? See, the purpose of the promises and the prophecies are not to be, oh, that's nice, that's interesting. Oh, we've got a prophecy of you. You know, lovely, very nice too. Like, you know, we'll write it down in our notebook. Isn't that interesting? No. The purpose of God giving you promises, the purpose of God prophesying to us is that it might drive us to prayer. Every revival, every revival that's ever been known down through the history of God, every time God has come and blown with fresh power and fresh wind and fresh life in his church, it's always been as a result of the people of God praying it in. Now you think, how does that work? Well, I don't know how it works, but it almost like God seems to give the people of God a hunger and a passion and a, a stirring, and they start to pray back his promises to him. And this isn't a weak prayer thing. This isn't, oh Lord, if it be thy will, would you please, because we're so pathetic 
and you're really not as quite as powerful as you used to be, but, you know, we quite like you, really, and if you could come and make a bit of a comeback, it would be really nice. And, uh, you know, maybe one last great tour, Lord, you know, if you could reassemble the old band again and just get back together for one last shout. You know, hear some people praying, and that's what they feel like. No, this is about God's prophetic promises. This is about what God said, and there needs to be a new holy boldness amongst the people of God for prayer. Chronicles 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sin, I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I think people take that and go, oh, it's all about being low and humble and pathetic. And No, humility is knowing your right standing before God. Humility is coming to the one who is the king, but you come as the son of the king. You come as the daughter of the king. You come as dignitaries before the king. You come with royal blood in your veins. You come with holy boldness before the king. You come not in any sense of timidity, any sense of, uh, oh God, if it be thy will, but with a holy boldness. And God wants to put that in us. God wants to put this new passion for prayer in us, a real sense of God. You're going to do it. I believe your promises. This is what Lloyd-Jones, a great, if you know me, you know I love the writings of of Lloyd-Jones, who's my parents' pastor in London. This is what he wrote on the subject of revival. And he talks about prayer. In, In people who've been used by God throughout the centuries to bring in revivals, you'll find a holy boldness, an argumentation, a reasoning, the putting the case to God, pleading his own promises back to him. In fact, I think that's the whole secret of prayer, he says. Don't leave God alone. Pester him with his own promises. Tell him what he has said he's going to do. Quote scripture to him. God delights to hear us doing that. Our Father loves to hear us pleading his own promises, quoting his own words and saying, in the light of this, O God, how can you refrain? It delights the heart of God. Dear friends, I believe there's a new passion in prayer that God wants to put amongst the people of God to pray in the promises, to bring the prophetic words that he's spoken into life. See, that's what God often does. He often shows the prophetic people an image or a picture. Do you remember another one would be Ezekiel's dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Do you remember that? And it's like prophesy, son of man, prophesy to the wind. And it's like as, as Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, it's like the wind of the spirit comes and this whole army, the knee bone's connected to the leg bone, and it's all connected together. This whole army rises up as a mighty army, bringing in the purposes and the glory of God. But there's this partnership, we're going to talk about this in a moment, there's this partnership together where Ezekiel prophesies. He has some boldness in this. And God wants us in our prayer to prophesy things, to have boldness, to have de- declarations. Now, you, don't, you can't prophesy yourself a new, brand new Porsche motor car because that isn't necessarily the revealed will of God for you. But this is the revealed will of God. See, this is what John says, who knew Jesus better than anyone. This is the confidence, John 1, 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything... Not a shiny Porsche motor car, but anything in accordance with his will. 
He hears us and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then we know that we'll have what we asked of him. Now, people in the prosperity gospel take that to say, oh God, I want a pay rise, oh God, I want this, oh God, I want that. Well, that's not necessarily the revealed will of God for you. We know what the revealed will of God is, it's to revive his church. We know what the revealed will of God is, it's for his glory to come and shine on us that we might be light in the darkness. We know what the revealed will of God is, therefore we can pray with confidence that we have that which we ask him for, because we're asking in his name, according to his will, and it will be done. Dear friends, there's a new boldness, a new prophetic edge to our prayer meetings. Prayer meetings have got dull. They've become informational. God wants them to become prophetic, boldness, storming the gates of heaven with the promises of God. The next one. We've talked about the promises of God. We've talked about prophecies from God. We've talked about prayer to God. And this, this is the one I want to just zone in on for a moment. This sense of preparation, that's another P. I felt God say, prepare my people for revival. And this is the question I've asked myself. Is revival a sovereign act of God? Or is it, or do we have some responsibility in this? And hopefully you'll gather our, the answer from what I've already said. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's a sovereign act of God and we have some responsibility in it. So God decides to do it. But actually, there are things that we can do in response. Arthur Wallace, who wrote a great book on revival, he was like a father of the modern house church, new church movement. He was a dear friend of Terry Virgo, who started New Frontiers. He was very influential in the early days. He said this, revival is certainly an act of a sovereign God, but that is not to say that it's exercised without the spiritual response of his people. We need to be in partnership. We could have used the word partnership, actually, even rather than preparation. It's just I felt God say, prepare. Now, do you remember my uh, shovel? (laughs) Me being a bit embarrassed in this meeting? Holding my invisible Starbucks cup? You know, it's like a bit weird. What's he doing? Is it coffee time? No, he's holding a shovel. I came across this scripture. In 2 Kings, chapter 3, and it's different in different versions, but in my version, the NIV that I use here, it's the the three kings that have come together to defeat the evil kings of Moab, and they're good kings, they're the kings of Israel and and and, and, uh, Judea, and they're they're good, but they've hit a drought, they've hit a problem where they can't even feed their livestock, let alone feed themselves, and they call for a prophet, is there a prophet in the land? And Elisha is found and brought to the kings. What's really interesting is they say, what's the word of the Lord? So in other words, the king knows that he can only act on the promises and prophecies of God. What's the word of the Lord? You know what Elisha first says? Bring me a minstrel. Not, that's not a chocolate sweet. It's bring me a guitarist. Bring me, he says, Where, where's Dave Gibson? That's basically what he's saying. And uh, so, so Dave Gibson comes out and uh, he says, now, just start playing prophetically, Dave. And uh, Dave's there playing prophetically. And uh, as Dave is playing, it's all in the Bible, as Dave is playing prophetically, suddenly Elisha starts to prophesy. And this is what happens in 2 Kings 3, 16. He said to them, this is God's word, 
dig ditches all over this valley. Here's what will happen. You won't hear the wind or see the rain, but this valley is going to be filled up with water and your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is an easy thing for God to do. They said when they woke up the next morning, all the ditches were full of water. Now, obviously God sent sovereign rain overnight, but if they hadn't dug the ditches, that rain wouldn't have been contained. It's a partnership. Digging ditches doesn't make it rain, but if you do dig ditches in a time of rain, you're going to contain more of the blessing. And I believe this is a preparing of the people of God and what I believe this is prophetically, what are ditches for us? Well, ditches is something that goes, is making some space for God to fill. It's making some space for the water to come. Now, if you're working in a school or you're working with young people, God wants you to dig ditches of friendship and grace and mercy and love towards them. Because one day he's going to fill it with his glory. Now, at the moment, it might just, if you're in a neighbourhood, God wants you to be friendly to your neighbours. He wants you to know their names. He wants you to get to know them. He wants you to be gracious to them and grace-filled with them and, and loving towards them and kind towards them. It's digging a ditch. If you're walking with, working with open door, God wants you to reach into the asylum seeker community and uh, those who are marginalised and haven't yet got a voice. God wants to dig a ditch of blessing into each of the different nations represented here of friendship. If you're working in business, and working uh, in boardrooms. God wants you to dig ditches of friendship and grace and kindness and love and, and hospitality and mercy to your friends, to your colleagues, to your work. You see, this is about digging ditches. It's very unglamorous. It's just about being friendly. It's just about being nice. It's just actually about... Do you know the Bible says it's the kindness and grace of God that leads to repentance? There's some kindness and grace and love that God just wants us to display to our neighbours and our friends and our work colleagues, actually, they see more of the grace of God in you than you realise. Our neighbours came to us once and said, what is it about you two? You're just this perfect couple. And the truth is, we're really not. (laughs) But I knew what they meant. What they meant is this, there's something about you two. What is it? And it got a great conversation about us going to church, we went to a party with one another, I, I was sitting there with a glass of mulled wine and one of my neighbours literally pinned me to the wall, she said, what is it, this Christianity stuff, she said, what is it to be born again then? It's like, this is out of the Bible and this is my neighbour asking and this is like one o'clock in the morning and I'm going, really we should go to bed, the Christian thing is to, you know, is, is to say goodnight now, but no, I'm, you're sharing the gospel with a glass of mulled wine in your hand and, you, and she came to church the next morning. So I guess I thought, you're never going to get up and come to our guest, Carol guest service next morning. She came and brought her whole family. They were a little bleary-eyed, and so was I. <laughs> but it was worth it. They've come back since. Not yet saved, but still in dialogue. It's kindness, it's grace, it's being nice. It's, it, now, I'm not saying it's the nice, being nice saves people, but I'm saying this. Grace, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control are as powerful as the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we need the gifts of the Spirit as well, and we need to be supernatural, so um, this isn't quite quite as glamorous a story, but uh, the other day, Anne and I were praying for our neighbours. We were praying for this couple that lived next to us. It was just before Christmas, and they'd lived there for a whole year, and they hadn't sold their previous house. 
They'd taken a kind of bridging loan. I don't know how they'd done it financially, but it was crippling them. They owned two houses, really. They just wanted one, but they wanted this house next to one, literally the one next door to us. They bought it, believing that they would sell theirs. They hadn't sold theirs. So they, it was really difficult for them, and they'd shared that with us. And so Anne and I said, we're just going to pray for them. And we're not going to tell them that we're praying for them. We're just going to pray for them, because it's been a whole year. Anyway, we were doing that in the morning. We are praying for them. I go out for walks in the morning, as some of you know. So I'm a bit bleary-eyed, 7 o'clock in the morning, going out for my walk. And there's my neighbour just coming out of his house at the same time. I said, oh, hi, Graham. We've just been praying for you. I really didn't mean to say that. My mouth opened and something came out of my heart because I'd just been praying for him. And he says, have you? What about? And now I've got to talk to him. (laughs) He doesn't even know at this point, probably even what I do or whatever, but I think he knew what we did, but... The fact that we're praying for him is a bit weird. I said, oh, Anna, I've just been praying for you, that you'd sell your house, and we know it's a burden for you, and we've just been praying. He said, oh, that's so nice, thank you. Weeks later, it's sold. Now, he knows. See, what I'm saying is this. It's little acts of grace. It's little acts of kindness. It's little acts of mercy. Whether it's being nice to the person on the checkout, you've heard my story at Devoted when I said, Anne always loves to talk to the person at the checkout. I, she's there to take your money, not to talk to. Don't talk to them. I, I'd go to the, I'll go to the, the, the automated one that doesn't talk back to you. But she, no, she wants to talk to a real person and have some interaction. And uh, she says, oh, hi, you're Mandy. Of course you're Mandy, it's on a badge. But uh, no, she, don't interact with her. Just get, get your money out and pay and we'll go quickly because we've got other things to do. It drives me nuts going to the, it drives me nuts going to the supermarket. Absolutely nuts. First of all, you have to pick... First of all, you have to pick the right line, and I always pick the wrong line. And then even if I pick the short line, I pick the person who's got the biggest amount of shopping, and then it's like, they tell her how much it is, her, I shouldn't say her, but they tell the person how much it is, and then this person gets her purse out, and uh, it's like, she's, she then she's got, starts at that point looking for her purse. It, You've come to pay, you know you're going to pay, get your purse out quickly. Don't now start looking for it. No, you know, it's not a surprise. Oh, I have to pay, do I? It's not a surprise to pay. You're supposed to pay. I get frustrated and a bit angry at these things, as you can tell. Anne is so different to me. She's much more, and she wants to interact. She said to this girl, I've been praying for you because you went, you went into hospital, didn't you? And you had this operation. How are you? Don't ask how she is. She might tell you, you know. <laughs> but Anne's interested. And, now, I'm putting myself down in a right... But I could, actually, all of us can talk to Mandy at the supermarket. All of us can talk to Graham next door. All of us can talk to our neighbours. All of us. What is that doing? I believe that's digging ditches. So that when the power of God comes to fill us, when the glory of God comes on his church in a whole new way, when revival does come, those ditches are going to be filled with water and people are going to be saved, left, right and centre why some moves of God didn't result in mass salvations in the past is because they went inward and people thought the move of God was for themselves. The move of God is never for you, it's always for the outsider, it's always to give it away. Greg Haslam, a pastor of Westminster Chapel, wrote this on that very passage about digging ditches. This is a beautiful dovetailing of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. We have to dig ditches in order to receive and contain what he gives. If the coming blessings of revival are to be stored, we must get ready. Shovel in hand, 
dig ditches, prepare my people for revival. That's what I've been doing. I've been doing this last year. Everywhere I go, preaching this message, saying, get ready for revival. But don't just get ready like that. Oh, God, come. Get ready like this. Dig for revival. Dig for it. Dig to your neighbours. Have your neighbours round. Be friendly. Say hello to people. When you hear that someone's sick at work, say, I'll be praying for you. And when they say thank you very much, do it. Nobody expects you to do that. But I've never yet had anyone refuse. Never yet. I mean, I think they're just so caught off. Can I pray for you? They go, yeah. And they think you mean at home when you kneel by your bed at night, dear Lord Jesus, God bless mummy, God bless daddy, God bless the lady I met in the supermarket. But actually, I say, no, let's pray now. And pray. You can do that. This week, you can do that. You can dig a ditch. Now, God will do some supernatural, wonderful things now, but when the sense of his presence fills us afresh, when this coming revival that we're sensing, when the glory of God comes, all these ditches will be filled with his glory. And this church will be a wonderful beacon amongst many. Last one, last point. I know we're running late, and I do apologise. I wonder if the band could come back up and prepared to sing... We haven't even talked about this, Andy. What have you got? You've got some. The last P. Talked about the promises. Talked about the prophetic prophecy. Talked about prayer. Talked about preparation. My last P is slightly pushing it, but it's the presence of Jesus. Because ultimately, this is not about big churches. This is not about mass salvations. It's not even about mass healings and lots of stories. This is about more glory going to Jesus. The reason we pray for revival, the reason that we're preparing God's people for revival, the reason that we're believing that God wants to come in power and authority is not so that the attention goes to us and we go, look, we've done it, aren't we brilliant? We've built some big, great churches that are speaking to the nations. No, it's so that all the glory, all the attention, all the might and all the honour might go to Jesus. It's all for him, it's from him, it's through him and it's to him. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his presence. And I want to end with another great quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this in his book on revival. Revival is ultimately a glorification of the Lord Jesus. It's a restoration of him to the centre of the life of the church. You read all the accounts of revivals that have ever been written and you'll find invariably that the very centre of the life of the church at that time has been the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not crucial, vital and occupying the very centre of our meditation, our living, our thinking and our praying, then we've got no right to look for revival because it's all about Jesus. Dear friends, yes, I want us to pray for revival. But most importantly, I want us to pray that Jesus is glorified, that Jesus, the name of Jesus is made famous again in our land. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to allow our singing to turn to intercession. And we're going to pray for Jesus to be glorified, for his spirit to be poured out. Lord Jesus, we believe that you never intended the church to fulfil your mission without the power of the Spirit. We believe, Lord Jesus, in Acts 1, when you said wait, you meant for it. 
You meant for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came and filled with power and that power went out onto the streets and that power resulted in 3,000 being saved one day and 5,000 saved the next day. We thank you that your power is the same today, Lord, and we come as your people and we say we need revival, Lord. We need new life. We need to be revived by the Spirit. And Lord, we come to you bringing your promises, bringing these prophecies. We come praying, Lord, and we say, help us this week to dig ditches. Help us this week as we work in Open Door or we work in Hope Foundation or we work in the supermarket or the office or the healthcare centre or the school or, or the, in the home or in the community. Wherever we are this week, Lord, we ask you, let us dig ditches so that you might fill them with your glory. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that ultimately all the glory, all the honour, all the praise and all the power might go to our Lord Jesus. We want, we're Christ central, Lord. We want Jesus to be glorified, Jesus to be honoured. Let's worship him now. Let's worship the Lord Jesus.